Will you open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16? And we are finishing up our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. But I will tell you this. As we've come to this last chapter, there are times in which there are concentrations of focus in things that the Apostle says to us under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And in this 16th chapter, there seems to be a lot that would be more of a personal nature where he's kind of sharing uh, some of his personal greetings and things. And that's kind of a typical trait uh, when the apostles write. They, they will often bring to mind individuals who have a special place within their heart and they'll make mention of them. And, and Paul does do that here in this uh, 16th chapter. But there are two verses where there is an incredible concentration of instruction. And those two verses identify for us what what I would call five very specific admonitions that are designed for the purpose of helping God's people live victorious spiritual lives. And some of the issues related to each of these admonitions are specifically identified in this book or this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. But there are other places in Scripture where the same type admonitions are given. And the reason I'm saying that is, if we are to grasp what the Lord is intending to say to us in a specific directive that He gives us, it would be to our advantage if we don't limit ourselves to what was said in this specific book, in this specific letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Now, last week, we limited ourselves. We looked at the first admonition, and then under that admonition, we looked at four examples of things that would qualify to help us understand what the Apostle is talking about. And where we began last week was there in verse 13, where it says one word, watch. Elsewhere, another translation would put it this way, and perhaps this might be easier for us to understand, or it might be a little bit more expanded so we understand it a little better. Be on your guard like a soldier who's watching the lines where the enemy dwells. Be on your guard. Watch so that you don't become a victim of the things that he had addressed earlier in this book. And the ones that we looked at really evolved down to these uh, basic issues. One was to develop a coldness that would come as a result of hearing this letter and, and perhaps not being in tune spiritually with what the Lord would want and responding in a way that would be inappropriate or just as bad would be indifferent, would not respond in a way where the Lord says, here is what I'd like you to do. In fact, here is what I'm directing you to do. And it was very possible that the Corinthians would respond with a spiritual coldness. As a matter of fact, it appears that to a degree they did. In some regards, they responded well, but in others they did not. And though we are not going to go immediately into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, when we get there, you will see they did correct some of the issues that he brought up, but they left others undone. And he will have to address them again. 
The second thing that we saw was directly in the context of these verses. And what he was basically telling them was this. God is sending you some servants who are designed for, and are sent to you for the purpose of helping you grow in your understanding of the, the word. To help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. He could refer to himself, which he did earlier in the book, and he made it very clear that they did not necessarily receive him all that well. But in addition to that, there were two others that he mentions. As a matter of fact, there's more than two, but we only looked at the other two. One was Timothy, and Timothy, Paul wanted to have come to Corinthians, but apparently they had treated him very badly before, and he is now afraid to come. And so Paul says down there in verse uh, 10, and if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. And then he is giving us a bit of an explanation, and part of it had to do with the fact that Timothy was young. And from the, the view of maybe some of the older individuals in the church, they looked at his youth as a real negative issue and they didn't treat him well and he was he was afraid then he mentions apollos now apollos we're we're a bit familiar with apollos because of things that we read about him and how he was instructed by aquila and priscilla and how they helped him understand the way of christ more effectively but he seems to have been pretty disgusted with the corinthians and and paul says i've really been urging him to come but he doesn't want to come But when the time is right, he'll come. And I think Paul understood this. This is a servant of God, and when the Lord has time to work in his heart, he will get over those issues with which he had trouble with you before, and and he will come. He he goes on and mentions a few more later in that chapter, but we, we didn't take time to look at those. But the idea is this. When the Lord sent them these servants, these special messengers that had come, they were to listen to them. They were to pay very close attention. He goes on into a third, and the third actually takes us back into the book itself where he talks to them about their division. They were still segmented in their following of Christ. Some of them had followed what they said were the ways of Paul, others of Cephas, uh, some of Apollos, and then some said, well, we we follow Christ. And as a result of that, there was this division in the, the congregation and the people weren't getting along with each other. And Paul says, do you understand what you're doing? For one, you're destroying your testimony. People outside know what's going on and it's it's hurting your testimony. Number two, it's ruining your fellowship. One of the blessings of being together with a body of believers is to be able to enjoy fellowship. Now listen, I understand that in gatherings such as this, when we meet together for the purpose of worship, the fellowship issue is somewhat minimized. Most of us don't have the opportunity to spend a lot of time interacting with one another. Usually we come in time either for the Sunday school hour or we come in time for the worship service. We come in maybe for a few minutes, greet people, spend a little time, uh, generally in small talk. Usually it's not anything that really develops deeply within our hearts. And then when it's over, you're so hungry, you can't wait to get out and get something to eat. And so you don't hang around a whole long time and talk with each other. And, And that's kind of the way it goes. 
But that can't be the only time we're together. We need to be together to fellowship. In their case, the fellowship was broken because of the division. In our case, I think it's because there are very few venues in which we can really get together with one another and share the deep issues of each other's hearts and develop relationships that are strong, that are trusted, that are godly, and they're of a nature where we can go to one another and really count on each other. Now, those of you who have developed those relationships, aren't you glad you have them? Aren't they great to have? I'll tell you, when, when the water starts rising and things get tough, it's really wonderful to have somebody that throws you a lifeline and says, you know what, I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to help you. Well, division doesn't lend itself to that. And so there is that warning. Then there was the warning very specifically about the issues that he had addressed as he went through the remainder of the book. In the fourth element that we looked at, this rejection of God's directives, these were the ones that he brought up. He brought up about the immorality within the church. He addressed the issue of lawsuits among brothers. He spoke about the personal moral conduct. Let me stop here for just a moment. Probably the most comments I have received recently concerning anything that I've said in a message came this past week because of my addressing the issue of pornography and the concern that I would have for men of our church who may be involved in pornography. And in some realms, I think those of you who are wives would be able to testify the damage that that has done or is doing to your home right now. And men, I don't think you understand how devastating a willingness to give yourself over to looking at pornography, engaging in whatever is involved with what that brings your way, how devastating that is to your wives. And you need to understand that. The other side is this. Pastor, you really need to provide help for people that want to get out of that. And so I'm going to revisit that now for just a moment. We know that involvement with pornography is sin. But we also know that it is addictive. We also know that it is embarrassing for someone to say, I have been addicted to pornography. Would you help me? And some men that really need help will not come to the pastor. And I understand that because it's an embarrassing thing. And I, I would hope that you would trust me. I would hope that you would be able to recognize that if you share things with me, it goes no further. If it's of a private nature, it goes no further. But I also know this, that sometimes that is so difficult to do. So here is what I would like to put out for those of you who are part of our congregation who may be struggling with this. We will make it known where you can get help without our direct involvement and without your having to come to us to find out where it is. So what I'm going to do 
just thought of this now. What's the best way to do this? Jennifer, in next week's bulletin, would you remind me, we're going to put in a counseling center where people can get help with this, never have to say anything to us, but go for help. Okay? Folks, does that sound reasonable? If this could be a problem within our congregation, could this be a loving, good way to try to help somebody overcome that? Okay, then that's what we're going to do. All right? He went on to talk about the willingness that we should have to relinquish our personal rights, about the proper conduct in worship, about, about the proper use of our spiritual gifts, about encouragement concerning the resurrection, and then, of course, munificence. And we talked about those things at length. Now I want to go on to the things that are not specifically mentioned in this book of 1 Corinthians, yet we are told very specifically to watch, to be on our guard. And we just read about one of them in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 16, the Lord is telling us this, Be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Guard yourself against that. Well, what's he talking about? He told us very specifically that the disciples did not get it first time through. They thought he was talking about the leaven, the yeast. When we talk about leaven, do you all understand what we're talking about? It is the yeast that is often put within bread that permeates the bread and causes the dough to rise. Jesus used as an illustration yeast being hypocritical doctrine that was being taught by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how that hypocrisy would spread throughout all those that they would come in contact with. They would make, as he had put another time, they would make their disciples, those that followed their way of teaching, twice the sons of the devil that they were. And you remember how he said to them, you are of your father the devil. It's because they had all these laws and all these regulations by which to live. And some of them reflected good directives from the Lord, but they were done with the wrong attitude. They were done hypocritically. They were done in such a way that there were means of escape for the Pharisees and the Sadducees not to have to keep some of the laws that they were teaching other people. And that's why it was hypocrisy. They thought that they had everything wrapped up in a neat package as far as conduct. And they thought that because they did all these things, now they have a right standing with God. And they missed the whole point. Our standing with the Lord is dependent upon His grace, our receiving that grace through faith and recognizing that now in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the love of God that is shed abroad within our hearts that motivates us to do that which is pleasing to Him, not as law, but as the expression of love and the expression of desire to live for His honor and glory. It is easy for us today to get caught up with legalistic rules and regulations by which we evaluate our conduct and then we evaluate the conduct of others and we determine that they are either godly people or ungodly people based upon the subjective regulations that we come up with. And then we become guilty of the yeast 
of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It seems that we get all caught up with the issues that are very often related to traditions. And we act as if the traditions that we've held are godly standards when they are nothing more than traditions. You know, I'll use a couple innocuous ones so that nobody gets in trouble, but does the pastor have to wear a coat and tie every Sunday? Oh, we, we've brought this up. Okay. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yes, he should. Yes, he should. It, it, it's the sort of thing that shows respect. I'm looking around at some very disrespectful people this morning. What I'm, what I'm getting down to is this. Is it appropriate to wear a coat and tie? Sure. That's, it's not inappropriate to do that. But that is basically a tradition. Um, I think I mentioned to you before how people used to go to football games and they'd wear suits at the football game. It was a tradition. There is a commercial that's on TV right now, and I can't remember what it's for, but it shows a man fishing. He's sitting by the bank of a river in one of these old pictures, and he's fishing. He's in a coat and tie. Fishing. Times have changed. Is it right or wrong? It's neither. It's neither. I don't want to go any further. But I would say this. Let's be careful that the things that we are willing to battle over are issues that are specifically identified for us in God's Word. I actually wear shorts and t-shirts during the week. Don't anybody? <laughs> wow. You don't want to see my legs. I know that. But I will tell you this. I have no less fellowship with the Lord at those moments than I do at this moment. I am no less respectful to the Lord at those moments than I am at this moment. It isn't the clothing. It isn't the little laws that we make. It is a heart that is in tune with the directives that the Lord has given us. And it is a desire to be moderate in the way we dress in the places we go, it is right to be modest and it is right for us to live in such a way that we're not trying to draw attention to ourselves, but we are drawing attention to the Savior. And that comes from here. Beware of the yeast, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of not being ready when Christ comes. In Mark chapter 13, verse 33, the Lord gives a warning to His disciples and He is telling them that they should be very, very careful because no one knows the day in which the Lord is going to return. And so we are to be watching and we are to be ready. We are to be conducting our lives in such a way that when the Savior comes, we are not ashamed of what we're doing, where we are, the things that we're saying, but we should be ready at any moment. Do you know why? Because the return of the Lord, which comes in two parts... First, taking His church to be with Himself. Second, coming to set up His kingdom here on earth. 
Because it can happen now. It can happen now. I don't like it when people raise this question. If you knew Christ was coming in five minutes, how would it change your life? Can I tell you the truth? It shouldn't change it at all. Here's, here's the way I want to live to glorify God at any moment so that when He comes... I'm not in a place I ought not be. I'm not talking about things I ought, ought not be talking about. I'm not doing anything I should not be doing. But if he comes at any moment, oh, okay. If I'm eating at Burger King and the Lord comes, that's fine. If I'm eating at Taco Bell, shame on me. No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. I just threw that out. But, but you all understand what I'm saying. Our lives... I, they shouldn't take on a whole new fabric of activity when we find out, well, the Lord is coming in five minutes. Okay. I'm ready. Isn't that the way we should live? That's why he says, watch. Be on your guard. Don't let this day overtake you and surprise you because it can happen any moment. He tells us a third in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, that we are to guard ourselves against greed. He talks about how some people are going to be so enamored with the material things that the world supplies, that the world provides, that they are going to forget about their heavenly home, that they should be laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt, where thieves don't break in and steal, rather than those things here on earth that all pass away. Now, there are parts of life that are absolutely essential for us to be involved with the material realm. And the Lord has made that very clear. But there are times when people so focus on things that are temporal that they allow the things that are of eternal value to slip by. Maybe I said this to you, or maybe I said it in our Sunday school class. I can't remember where I say some of the things that I say. But I read something recently that really struck me, and I thought this was good. I saw this on Facebook, and maybe one of you posted it. I don't know. But it said this. Some people are so poor that all they have is money. That's a pretty insightful statement. Some people are so poor that all they have is money. The Lord went on in this admonition, this warning to watch with his disciples. And he told them that story that we're very familiar with about the farmer who prospered with his crops. And he said, oh, I'm just going to build my barns bigger and I'm just going to be taking more and more in. And then I'm going to tell my soul, be at ease and just take life easy. Tonight, your soul's required of we don't live for the things that are temporary. We live for the things that are of eternal value. And we use the material things so that we can serve Him more effectively. Watch. Be on your guard against greed. There's a fourth and it's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 31. And then he says this, Be on your guard against false 
teachers. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul was having his last encounter with the elders at Ephesus? He stopped and he met with them. And he had to meet outside the city because the city itself was not real happy with Paul. They, they would have liked to see him die. And so he had to meet with these elders outside of the city. Otherwise, there would have probably been some kind of a riot and there would have been all kinds of trouble. So he meets with these elders and then he gives them a warning. And he says this to them. He says, I want you to be on your guard because, and this had to have been heartbreaking to him, from within your own number, some will arise and teach false doctrine with the hope of getting others to follow them. Be careful. That's the reason that everything that is spoken from this pulpit is something you should examine. Is it what God's Word says? Is it true? Is this the message God would have for us? And you do that with everyone. Whether we have missionary speakers, whether our associate pastors speak, and I'll be checking you guys out. No, we, we have wonderful associates here. When the senior pastor speaks, if he is not telling you the truth from God's word, you come and set him straight. And he'll listen. As long as what you have is the truth. Be on your guard against the false teachers. And then P- Peter brings up something very similar. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17, he, he warns them about being on their guard against lawless men. Sin is lawlessness, and there are men who will be involved in sinful behavior that could lead away from their steadfastness, is the way he puts it, by the error of the wicked. These lawless men will come in, and they will proclaim life standards that will be inappropriate and be untrue. He says, be on your guard. So he's given us this first admonition. And the first admonition is, watch. Be careful. The enemy is out there. And you'd better guard the lines. You better be alert. Keep awake. Because subtly, the enemy will slip through the barbed wire. They will go down through the ditches and they will come up and they will slit your throat. There's a lot of danger. Watch. I'm going to give us the beginning of the second. And by the way, unless you're worried about that outline, that outline is going to be in that bulletin for weeks. Just, just be aware of that. We will cover whatever we can cover. Okay? The next thing that he talks about, go back to 1 Corinthians 16, look at verse 13, watch, the second thing he says is stand fast in the faith, or stand firm, the idea of fast carries with it a little different idea for us today, but to stand firm in the faith, that implies that some people are not going to, 
that some are going to embrace the faith for a time, but because of other influences coming into their lives, they will depart from the faith, they will move in a different direction, and they will forsake what they knew to be the truth. So he warns them, stand firm. Let me give you just the first one, because it's right here in this very context. You stand firm by a full commitment to the work of the Lord. You stand firm by a full commitment to the work of the Lord. You probably don't even have to turn a page. Or if you do, it's one page. If you go back to the 15th chapter and look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The word labor, as we had talked about when we looked at that passage, means to strive to the point of fainting. It means to work hard at serving the Lord. One of the things that as a pastoral staff we have recognized is very important is to recognize people who are working very, very hard in serving the Lord. It's why we reflected today the ministry of mops. And last week, we looked at those who were involved in the prayer ministry, the prayer walk. Two weeks ago, we had um, the missions committee. And some of these people sacrifice Hours and hours and hours of their time. They sacrifice of their material goods. They give of themselves over and over and over again. And that's good. That's right. It is part of our standing firm in the faith by making a commitment that involves us in the work of the Lord. Do you know who I see walk away from the Lord? And there are people that do that. People that don't serve people that don't get involved in ministry, it is very easy to walk away from the Lord. But, and, and by the way, I'm not talking about losing their salvation. Don't anybody misunderstand. But they literally walk away from the fellowship. They walk away from the worship. They walk away from the interaction. They walk away from ministry. And here are people that give of themselves year after year, day after day, faithfully serving the Lord, giving of themselves... And it's right. It's the right thing to do. Stand fast. Stand firm. Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here's something that to me is very good. We don't enter a right relationship with God because we work hard. Aren't you glad? Because I'm sure every one of us, even those of you who serve so faithfully, would recognize there are times that we have fallen short of serving the Lord as we should. And thankfully, our relationship with Him does not depend upon the effectiveness or the extent to which we serve Him. Our relationship with Him depends upon one thing, our identification 
with Jesus Christ, God's Son. And that's why salvation is by grace through faith. And not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So we don't earn the right to come into God's heaven. But we receive the right by trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin. We repent and we turn away from that sin and we put our trust in Jesus Christ and He gives eternal life and He enables us from that point on to serve Him steadfastly. It's a great system because our life doesn't depend upon us. It depends upon Him. I tell you that for this reason. You may not have that life, but it's available. It's available right now. If you will put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He says, I will give you life. And then, watch, be faithful, stand firm, and you will make an impact for the glory of Christ that can have eternal benefit. Let's stand. Father, it's truly a privilege to open your word. And it's truly a privilege to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, for those of us here who have accepted by faith the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ in our place. We've trusted in Him who died for us and was buried and rose again from the dead. What a blessing it is to be able to be challenged from Your Word, to be faithful, to watch, to stand firm. Father, I pray that You would cause each one of us today to live our lives in such a way that we would please you. And I pray for those who need the Savior that they would trust in him today. In his name we pray.